Welcome to another episode of the Goldust Podcast. If you haven't already, click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other Friday. We hope everybody also enjoyed our last episode with the late Craig Brown, CB. Before we introduce today's guest, we do want to mention our partnership with clothing company Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The Northwest of England clothing brands strive to provide premium, aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now for today's guest, here is a snippet of what to expect. You've got to embrace challenge and change um, because It'll, it'll come and find you all the time in in, in elite sport. Um, so you've you've got to you've you've got to embrace it. It's almost part of your CPD. So there's been times when you know I've gone into new roles or um, I've been at certain clubs or you've been in certain environments where you, you know you feel uncomfortable and it's a huge challenge. I think you've got to recognise that as um, that this is part of my development. Um, so however much of a challenge it feels at the time. Um, actually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you stronger, it's going to develop you for future experiences that you have and you might deal with it differently based on what, what's happened to you in that particular context. We're excited to welcome Gareth Jennings onto today's episode of the Golders Podcast. Gareth is currently Technical Director of the UAE Pro League and has previously worked for New Zealand Football, where he was the GM of High Performance, at FIFA, where he was a technical expert, at Leicester City and Stoke City's Academy Director, as well as much more. Gareth, welcome and thank you for coming on to the Goldust podcast today. Thank you, David. Thank you, Keith. It's uh, it's good to be with you both. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, we'll get into it. First question, as always, Goldust to us is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does Goldust mean to you? Um, yeah, it's pretty probably really clear to be honest I think gold dust to me is um, is an inquisitive mind um, so and I think when I interview people I always it's probably the quality that I look for you know when I'm when I meet people I, I, I remember a few years ago at Stoke and we were looking for an under 23s manager and we'd sort of had a number of high profile names come in um and 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 then uh the former Burnley player Wade Elliott came in to see us and I'd, I'd sort of I knew a little bit about Wade because he'd been the captain at Bristol City when I'd been there and um I just remember him coming in and asking more questions than I asked of him he would just seem to be really inquisitive and had this real desire to learn and get better and and, and I was like oh, brilliant I want to work with this guy I, I really feel that we could fulfill his potential and but he, I don't think he almost sort of had a ceiling on his own potential. So for me, that inquisitive mind and desire to learn um, is probably what gold dust means to me. Really interesting answer. I don't think we've ever had that one, David, have we? Not yet, no. That's the first. So, Gareth, if Gareth Jennings had to introduce himself and describe his professional background... And you were asked to go into a room full of people that you don't know. How would you introduce yourself? Uh, I think um, probably first of all is I'm just a normal, normal everyday 
person that 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 works in an industry that is really challenging, but one that I absolutely love. I think I'm I'm definitely a a values led leader. Um, so I'll not I'll not I'll not steer outside of my values and what I deem as acceptable behaviour. And so that and that 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 never changes. Um, and I try and influence any organisations that I'm in by what I see as my values in terms of how you treat people and being honest, um, just just how I would expect to be treated myself. Um, so that that's first and foremost. Um, but then I think secondly, um, and something that I usually put into a strategic plan is around, I would say I'm a high performing leader rather than a high performance leader. And there's a, a real clear difference between the two for me. I think I go into a lot of organizations or have been really lucky to go into a number of uh, organizations where they they talk about being high performance now high performance for me is you meet the criteria so you have a and pro licensed coaches you have sports scientists with phds um, but do you have any outcome so a high performing organization is one that has uh, that is outcome driven so actually you know what it is that you're trying to achieve and actually you produce that so for an, an example of that would be you know if you if you're in an academy academies are great for football clubs I, I think they're almost the heartbeat of it um, and I always find it sort of strange when clubs don't have an academy because you sort of look I think you lose some of the the atmosphere and the heartbeat from from the club however um, if you've got a football academy it's also there for a purpose you you want to produce young players so I I, I always see myself as that as a, as a leader and I always make, sort of make that really clear to people actually I'm, I'm outcome driven and if there's something there that, to be achieved, um, that's what I want to do in my role. And I'm really clear with the people that, that I work with around that as well. Going, talking about the roles, you, so you mentioned there, obviously, Gareth, clear with your role in terms of what you've done. You've been a coach, academy manager. You was FIFA's head of technical leadership, the general manager of, of the GM of high performance for New Zealand, been a consultant, and you're now the, the technical director for the... United Arab Emirates Pro League. What was it that inspired you to obviously get on this path of being a high-performing individual and talk us through that journey of where you've been? Yeah, I think um, uh, I, I was a young I was a young player um, and always wanted to always wanted to play professional football. So at, at school, I wasn't great to be honest. I was very my, my mind was very much fixed on I want to be a professional footballer and spent most of my time thinking about football and how I'd how I'd progress. Um, not not like the modern day footballer where they recognise that actually education is a big contributor to, to to your development. So, and you know I, I didn't I didn't make it as a footballer. I signed a professional contract but never made it to um, you know play regularly in the first team. And uh, so, but always had a desire to stay in the game. My initial thoughts were I, I wanted to coach, I wanted to be on the grass um, and, and develop players. And I think it got to a stage where I started to recognise that actually you can have a bigger impact the more you move up the system. So I'd get frustrated with, you know, being a coach. I'd get frustrated with the academy director or a senior coach and, and was like, right, well, actually, I need to move into that role to, to progress and actually have a bigger impact. And then I think as, as I moved up, you know, I've got this passion around wanting to develop young players and being part of their journey and seeing where they could get to. And 
but that took a shift as, as, as I went through some of the roles. I, I definitely had a, a huge satisfaction on just developing people. So whether that was players or coaches or high performance staff, I, I definitely take a pleasure in sort of going, right, well, there's actually people that are a lot better than me and can we fulfill their potential? And if, if, if they go on uh, and achieve something, that's, that's for me, you know, as, as much as an achievement as, 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 as doing something yourself. So you almost sort of take an achievement from, from, from where they've got to or where they've progressed to. And it, I, I, I certainly, you know, when I moved into the role as academy director, I sort of had this understanding that actually there's better coaches than me. Um, there's people that understand sports science better than me. Um, so I'll, I'll leave them as the experts to deal with the player development piece and I can focus on them as a team. So that's my team to deal with. So they've got their own team. So the 11 players or however big the squad was. Um, and I've got my team of staff now. So they're my team. How do I develop them and how do we make them better? Um, and I think as I've moved up, that's always been the case. So even at even at FIFA, I had some unbelievably inspirational people that came and worked for me. So uh, a guy called Philip and a, a lady called Jenny, um, who were sort of quite quite young in their careers. But you can you can see from their their, their personalities, their individual characters, that they're going to go on to be great leaders. And they took real pleasure in in sort of saying, right, well, how do I work with these guys and how do I develop them further? Um, so I think that's been really the bit that's really driven me and uh, and trying to instill some of, you know, I talked about that values-led piece, trying to instill that in them and just sort of say, look, don't accept certain behaviours and this is how you should be treated. So I think that's where my sort of inspiration has come from. Well, there's obviously an hierarchy of needs, an hierarchy of values which are important to you. But before you embark on any new project, Gareth, what is one of the first things you need to know before you decide to move? Yeah, I think um, you've got you've got to know what success looks like and, and and being really clear about that. So when you go through the interview process or when you meet your potential new employers, you know, ask the question outright. What is it that you want to achieve? Um, I, I certainly had that with uh, Peter Coates when I went to Stoke, lucky enough to work for, for him and his family as academy director at Stoke. And he was really clear that he wanted 11 players from Stoke to play in his first team, which was was a huge challenge. But actually, it also excited me because I was like, ah, do you know what? That's what he wants. And he buys into that. So now in terms of me trying to develop a vision in terms of what we want to what we want to achieve, I've got I've got a clear understanding of what the owner wants. And I can almost sort of tell that story to to the staff and the and the players. Um, but I, I think it doesn't just come on its own as well. I think you've got you've got to also recognise that when you know what success looks like, having a really good understanding of where you're going to work and what it is they're trying to achieve is one thing. But also recognising where you add value. So I don't I I don't think you go into a role and you're the same you're the same person or you do the same things all of the time. So recognising right, what have I got that's really going to add value? in the context that I'm going into now. And, and sometimes you might have to take a hit on something you like doing or because actually that skill set already exists. So there's someone in the building that can do that and they're really good at that job. And you go, okay, that's great. I'll, I'll part that for now. But actually I can add value by doing this element of the role. And like I say, sometimes you have to sacrifice things to be able to do that. But I think that's really important, recognizing where you're going to add value to achieve the outcomes that they require. 
bolting on to that, Gary, you and I spoke last week and you spoke quite openly and candidly around, because value, the, the word value keeps coming up. And when you went into Stoke, you knocked on the then manager, Mark Hughes, and you asked him a question, and I'll let you share what that question was. And then off the back of that, on the back of that, you had... Because you can go into you can go into institutions and there's values all over the place. The, 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 you know, it's a long list of values, and they're meaningful to some, but they get lost because there's too many of them. Can you share what their experience was like, knocking on Mark Hughes's door? What was shared, and then on the back of that, what were these core values that you had? If you don't mind sharing them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, I think um, yeah when it, when obviously got the role at Stoke and, and went in for the first time. I was very, very fortunate. So I, I shared an office with Glenn Hodges, who, great character, definitely took me under his wing and, and supported me in my role. So he was the under-23s manager at the time. And I remember having a conversation with Glenn around, right, well, you know, how do I work best with Mark? Um, what is it that he wants? And he just said to me, go knock on his door and ask him. So off I went down the corridor, knocked on the door and, Sort of Mark invited me into his office and uh, just just sort of said to him, "Look, Mark, I'm the new academy director. Can you tell me what you want from from me as the academy director to support you as as the head coach?" And and Mark turned around and sort of said, "This is brilliant. I've not had this before. I've been waiting for someone to come and knock on the door and ask me what it is we want from young players at this football club." Um, and he was really clear in terms of you know how technically competent the young players were that were coming through, but he had a real issue around. Uh, the physicality of the player or being able to physically cope with the type of sessions that he wanted to put on with the intensity that Stoke were going to play. Yeah. So it, became, it was actually quite quite simple in terms of aligning some of the physical programme so that we got players of the capability to, to go and cope with the types of sessions that they were putting on. Um, and we started to then see a real transition of players coming, coming across. But in terms of the sort of values piece, um, I'd, I'd love to sort of say this was me, but I, I certainly prompted the idea in saying, right, we, we've got, we had a list of, of, of values that, that that we sort of adhered to at Stoke, which, and there was sort of 12 values, and they were the sort of standard, you know, honesty, integrity, but there were sort of 12, and you could never remember all 12. And we had a sort of 3,000-word document in terms of our philosophy, and I, I sort of said, look, right, well, I want it to be things that we remember, so... You, you know, things that if I said, right, well, what are we about? Every member of staff would just know it and be able to be able to say it. We sort of looked at at, at Stoke as a football club um, and what they represented. And it was actually um, Jimmy Hunter, our head of coaching, that, that came out to it, came up with it. And he sort of came and sat down with me and, and spoke about what they could be. And we had, we had two non-negotiables. Uh, one was outrun and outcompete because we, we thought that represented what Stoke as a, as a football club were about. Hardworking, middle to lower class, a, a lot of supporters within a 10-mile radius and they've got more fans within a 10-mile radius of their club than any other club in the country. Um, so those were our non-negotiables. We, we felt if you played for Stoke City Football Club in the first team and you showed those two, two values, that would be accepted. And then we had two more, which was outplay and outthink. They were the bonus two. That was our job as a as academy staff, coaching staff, high performance staff, to sort of say, right, well, how do we develop and nurture those two 
to make sure that actually you fulfilled your potential. But actually, we became quite an exciting team as well. And we, we thought that was the era that they were moving over to, over to at Stoke City. Everyone previously had sort of seen them as this long ball club, um, whereas actually we're starting to make exciting players now. We've been in the Premier League for a long period of time. So one, we needed to represent the community that we were representing. And, and two, um, let's come up with two values that we think should represent being a Premier League footballer or, or, a fo- or an international footballer for the future. And hopefully that, that, that had an impact because people could remember it. It was, um, it was really easy to remember. And then we aligned the philosophy as well. So we had a, a, a pyramid, a performance model that we, that we worked to. And uh, it was a really clear vision around what we wanted to achieve. So that was 35% of the first team match day squad was going to be academy players. And then we had a number of, so we had a mission statement, which was around moving from high performance to high performing. So we started to have some outcomes in terms of how we worked. And then we had a number of objectives and obviously then aligning everyone's roles and responsibilities around that. Um, Probably the one thing that was different to a lot of performance models was uh, we had what was called a central aim. And this, this is different from the vision. So the vision is something that actually would potentially be in five to seven years time. And we know in terms of the turnover of staff, um, you know, you want to try and keep them in the building as much as possible and even the turnover of players. But we wanted to have something that represented you coming into your role every day. So and so how we sold it to people was, if you remember in, in 1962, the US president walking around NASA and uh, him asking the janitor what his job was and him saying, oh, my job's to put people on the moon. So even though he cleaned the toilets and cleaned the bathrooms, he recognised that actually, if I remove um, if I remove bugs from the building or you know things that people can catch, do the best job. That's going to contribute to people having the opportunity to to step foot on the moon. Um, so so we had a central aim, uh, and it was around player productivity. So can we put a player on the pitch? So whatever your job role job role was, your response was always my role is to put players on the pitch. So if you clean the toilets, if you were the chef in the kitchen, if you were the first team manager, if you were an academy coach, your role was to put players on the pitch. So we had this really clear what your job role was, but also those values. We had the four really clear. And then the other 12 values just sat in the background, to be honest. They were our, we expect that from a player. If we're going out and recruiting a player for Stoke City Football Club, we expect them to have that values. And if they didn't, it wasn't a, no, you're not accepted into Stoke City Football Club. It was, uh, right, we've got enough people in this building that will influence those people to understand what we expect and what we accept at Stoke City Football Club. On that note, Gareth, obviously you talked about what you did at Stoke and I'm really really intrigued with it. In terms of you personally, what are some of your core values and guiding principles? Yeah, so I think... I'm really, uh, really clear with everyone. I, I, I have some strange ones. So I don't I don't accept swearing, and whether that be a first-team player, first-team coach, academy coach. Yeah, so I, I don't accept swearing. I don't think it's part of the game. I don't think it has to be part of the game. And that's that's probably just me. My dad doesn't swear. Uh, my mum does, so I have, to, I have to have words with her occasionally. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I always just think about... How, how you treat people. Now, there's definitely a part of recognising the individual and what's going to motivate them best. 
Um, but I, I never think that that is to speak to them in the wrong way or shout and scream at them. Um, you know, if you're, if you're going to speak in a high voice to someone, actually there needs to be some real detail in that. So thinking around, right, well, what, what am I going to say to them that's going to add value to that person or they're going to, I actually spoke to uh, Marcel Lucasen earlier, who used to be at, um, used to be at Arsenal, he's the technical director for the UAE. And we had a similar conversation and uh, he was talking about some of the Arsenal staff about being cautious around some of the things that they shouted at players. And we actually said, it, do you know what? It, it's, it's, a, it's actually acceptable as long as you're helping them. So if you're helping them on their journey to learn, some of the things that you say. So, but have a thought process to that. You can't, you can't just shout and scream at them and say, you know, I, I want you to run better or, you know, I want you to do this, that or the other. Actually have some real detail in it. Give them some detail so it's going to help them. So I, I'm, I'm very much around, right, treat people as you would expect human beings to be treated. And that's the same as if you've got an, an elite player, one that's played at the very, very top of the game, they're, they're, they're normal human beings. And it's the same with a young person. They're normal human beings. Treat them as they would, how, how you expect them to be. So be kind, be a nice person, be honest with them, be open and willing to be challenged. So I, like I said earlier, I really like the inquisitive mind. So actually be inquisitive yourself, but also open up yourself. Be, be open to being challenged by, by young people or, or senior members of staff or people that work within your organisation. Actually drop, drop your guard. And almost we have a, there's a course with the FA or the uh, part of their, their youth programme is around developing the environment. And um, I, I always say to people, develop an environment around you that just exists all of the time. So that people are happy to come and ask you questions and want to work with you. And for me, just just develop the environment that exists continuously. I mean, making it so it's safe, those environments that you allude to. So it's safe for people to come in and ask. Ask with respect. Being a leader, Gareth, you'll inspire others. Baru or what inspires you? I, I get it. I get excited by by people and 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 the the potential of them. I obviously spoke about Wade earlier. So and and I mentioned a guy called Philip. There's a guy called Philip Zimmerman at, at FIFA, who he sort of speaks six or seven languages and don't doesn't actually recognise his own potential in terms of what what he could do. And I, I get I get really sort of inspired by that and. Just really enthused and excited by it, like God, blimey, what? Where could this person go to? What? What? What could they achieve? And I, I certainly don't sort of see. I, I don't see a ceiling in others when when you look at them and you just sort of go, right, okay, what? How? How can you be? You know, where where can we get you to? What's the journey we could we could take you on? But if you're asking me for something specific, I know we had a conversation about this last week uh, around a specific coach who went who's just started a learning journey. Um, I, I get inspired by new topics or new pieces of information. So I, I'm, I'm definitely a lifelong learner. You know, I, I love going on new courses and learning new things. And, and I get inspired by that. I think uh, I spoke to you last week, Keith, around doing a module on taxation in sports. Uh, on my, the current course I'm on. 
and um, and and that that inspires me. Um, I'm you know I'm intrigued to learn about it. I can see where it fits in the context of of, of my role. I can see why certain decisions are made or you know when I, when I look at that I can I can sort of go all oh, right okay well I can see why American players don't travel too much because actually they still get taxed in their own country the same so you know there, there's there's some some barriers to it so I really recognize what sort of the context of things so yeah I get inspired by by those those types of things um and then in in particularly in my own context I think now I've Sort of ventured outside of the UK. I think that's been quite quite inspirational. Where I feel like I've come outside of this bubble that exists that you that you live in, and you go, that's that's the norm. That's that's how we do things. That's how I've always been educated. I think once you step outside of that and realise that everything you've been taught or everything you've been learned is is not actually correct. It's you know that's not the norm globally. So I remember having a a Spanish lesson in uh, at FIFA and talking about, I was thinking I was getting my numbers wrong. So I, I came back from the lesson. I was talking to Philip actually. And sort of, I said, Oh, I've been getting six and seven the wrong way around. And um, he went, what, what, what do you mean? So I went through my numbers and sort of counted in Spanish and he went, no, 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 you, you're correct. And I was like, no, definitely wrong. And he was like, what, what was the lesson about? And I said, Oh, we we're talking about continents. And he went, ah, he said, yeah, he said, in England, he said, you're taught there's seven continents. He said, in, in Europe, they're taught there's six. In other parts of the world, there's, they're taught there's four. And, and there was this sort of right realisation moment that, oh, well, we're all told there's seven, but actually that's only what we're taught and how we recognise the number of continents around the world. Um, so there's a bit of a sort of right realisation moment that, yeah, I've been living in this bubble and just believing everything that, that you're told. Um, so... Actually, stepping outside of that is really interesting. And obviously, some of the roles that I've now stepped into, you realize that actually there's, there's a number of uh, different contexts around the world, different cultures, and you have to be able to adapt to that, whether you think it's right or wrong. Um, can you influence it sometimes? So, yeah, I think, and, and those things are just, however challenging they are, they're def- definitely by you as well. With that being said, you talked about being a lifelong learner in that that last answer and about look, you mentioned the football taxation bit there's also parts in in the game that change and i'm sure in i will absolutely in the business side things change and, and adapt how do you keep up to date with the latest trends and developments and uh, and what resources do you rely on for for inspiration with those things yeah, so I've I've got a number of I've got a number of different roles which I, I find really really useful in terms of keeping up with trends and understanding different areas of the game. So I sit on the on the on the technical committee at the Association of Sporting Directors, um, which is inspirational as an organisation, but great in terms of the network of people um, that 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 you liaise with, have discussions with, um, and then they provide a support mechanism in terms of different types of courses. Um, so so that's that's been fantastic. Um, on the technical board of the FAW. So again, just a completely different context because we talk about, about national teams, national co- national team coaches, current trends. So how did the current World Cup compare to previous World Cups? How did we prepare for it? What would we do different next time? So really looking at the context of the game. Uh, again, a, 
a different network for me to for, for me to liaise with and be challenged with. And then um, I sit on the board uh, as a technical advisor at Grimsby Town. Again, just some some brilliant leaders that work in different industries and bring different ideas to the game. So uh, again, I think that that it for me keeps me up to date in terms of current trends. But certainly, you know, in terms of that lifelong learning piece, um, I, I, I never stray from not being educated. There's 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 sort of a a desire to want to go and learn new things uh, and try and make sure that I understand them. So uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm doing a master's in international sports law. So I have a, a, a cohort of, say, 30 people. I think I'm the only sports person on there. They've all come from a, a legal background and, and great people. I've got a couple that live here in Abu Dhabi um, and, and we meet and I talk about talk about sport and try and understand what they're talking about from a legal perspective. Um, and they come with they come with some different views and perspectives as well on the game, um, which is which is brilliant. So understanding how different people see it. And and sometimes you pick up a golden nugget and you think, you know what, they're absolutely right. Or they see something in a different industry that that you just go, oh, that that that, that that's brilliant. So I think there's a I think one Yes, it's it's really important that you, you go and do courses and you, you pick up as much information as possible or new types of information. Two, making sure that you've got a really good diverse network, whether that be going to conferences or having different roles as well as your sort of permanent role where the, those people you're seeing on a daily basis, seeing them all the time, actually, can you get a little bit more diverse than that? Um, and then I think thirdly, probably recognising where there's some where there's some learning opportunities as well. So. We ran a, when I was in New Zealand last year, we ran a, a club's workshop around the country and I, I talked to them about academy development um, and potentially having some national centres in, in New Zealand and could anyone offer any views and really invited people from different walks of life. So although they were involved in football, could they, um, was there anything that they'd sort of seen outside of sports or football that could really contribute? And had a great conversation with a guy that worked at a power station and, and, and they ran a, it was a hydro power station and they, they actually struggled to get people um, into the industry. So they ran their own academy program. Uh, and we had some great discussions around how they ran that academy and how that could benefit if we, if we had some national centers. So actually taking some of the learning from that and then being able to apply it to uh, in the, in the context of what we want, what we wanted within the game. Um, I think, those types of things are really important, actually recognizing that there's an opportunity to learn from different different contexts, different types of people, um, other people's views that are completely different from yours. So I think, you know, having that openness to be really sort of diverse as well is really, really important. Lifelong learning. It's a journey, that's for sure. <laughs> what is it that motivates you, though, to, to want to learn? I want to be cleverer than my kids is probably the, the honest truth. <laughs> I've got two bright sparks at home. So uh, trying, to, trying to keep ahead of them is, uh, is uh, a, a, real, a real challenge for me. Um, but I, I think that, that desire to want to be the best at your job, the best at, at, at whatever you do, um, that's, that's sort of never gone away from you know, when, I, when I wanted to be a player. I'd always got that desire to want to be the best. And I don't, I don't think that disappears. That's, that's sort of stayed with me and... You know, I, I, even now, you know, I, I, I want the UAE Pro League to be the best 
the best league in the world and trying to figure out, right, well, how, how do we do that? I think that's the real sort of um, design. It, it must it must drive my wife and children up the wall, you know, the, the amount of games that I watch and the amount of time that you spend away from your family, you know, the things that you sacrifice for it. Sometimes you look and you think, right, that's unacceptable. I need to spend some more time with them. And, but that desire is, is, is definitely there. I can remember, I think it was about three weeks after Arsene Wenger had come into, had come into FIFA. He came into, he came into the office and uh, he, he said, oh, did anyone watch the couple of Itadores semi-final last night? And I was like, yep, yeah, I, I saw that. And so we had a conversation about it. And then the next day he came in, there was another game. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I saw that. And we had a conversation about it. And uh, you could see, so similar to how I spoke about Wade Elliott, Arsene Wenger, you know, even though he's sort of had this really long career, still had that desire to want to learn and to talk about the games. And he, he would come in with articles out of newspapers that have been cut out and sort of say, ah, right, this, this is really interesting. Could we, could we apply this to the game? Uh, still had that sort of inner desire. Uh, and, and I don't think that goes away. I, I certainly have it. And sometimes it needs to be tempered. And, you know, you have to sort of think about, right, are you sacrificing too much here? Um, but um, yeah, I'm certainly, I'm certainly driven by the industry is really challenging and can be brutal sometimes, but the desire to want to make it better and, and be at the top of that industry has, has, has not gone away from when I was a, a young player. You mentioned in there about the UAE and wanting it to obviously be successful in its own right. What is your vision for the future of football in the UAE and how do you plan to achieve it? I think there's a really sort of um, an, an obvious route to go down, but there's a number of sort of challenges and hurdles that lie in the way in terms of culture and context to, to the league and culture and context to UAE in terms of how Emiratis are raised, what's sort of institutionalised within, within the country and me being flexible enough and, and having a, an understanding of, of that. So the, the clear and obvious way is, or my sort of vision would be that we have an integrated strategy. So there, there can't be just one thing that we deliver on our own as, as the UAE Pro League. We must make sure that actually we develop an integrated strategy with our key stakeholders. So UAE Pro League, the UAE FA, the sports councils, and obviously the, the, the clubs as part of that. And then a number of other sort of smaller stakeholders as well. I think if we do something independently, you're searching for success that, that, that you want as a, as a league or as an individual. Whereas actually an integrated strategy is shared success, but also having that understanding that it might not be in, it might not be in your time. You know, there's, there's, there's quite a long way to go in terms of what, you know, if, if we want it to be the best league or even somewhere near the best leagues, um, actually, we, we, we could be 10 to 20 years away from being able to achieve that. So it might not actually occur within my tenure or the stakeholders um, or the leaders within the, the other organisations. Um, and having a clear understanding of that, that actually, you know, someone else might get praised for the work that you've done. I think you have to accept that and just sort of go, no, this is my role. This is the part that I have to play. And, you know, if success occurs in the future, 
actually, I've, I've been part of that. Recognize it yourself and value it. But you might not be the person that's on the front page of the newspaper because the UAE have just got to the, to the, to the World Cup finals or actually they've just sold their first 10, 10 million pound player or whatever it may be. It might not occur for you. So, but I think that the vision for me and then the bit that will be a real challenge and we'll be making sure that all the key stakeholders are in it together. Um, if we if we get to that point, I think then you might get some gold dust. Technology is very prevalent nowadays, Gareth, and uh, with the advancement of technology is the progress. How do we use that? How do you balance the need of technical innovation and progress with the need equally to follow tradition and respect the game's history and the culture of the environment that you work in? Actually, had a, I was in a meeting the other day. Uh, well, it was um, uh, we were doing some some work for for Huddle, and I was with uh, Lucy Rushton, who was the GM at uh, DC United, and uh, she talked about technology and some of the innovation, and, and I, I was blown away. I was like, "Wow, I don't really know anything," but I, in terms of making sure that you keep up with some of those trends, uh, but also trying to balance that with the history of football or the history of a club. I think, you know, I mentioned it before around having this diverse work workforce. I, I think that's really important. And, and people talk about diversity um, and they link it with ethnicity or whatever, it, you know, but actually a diverse workforce is a, is a group of people that are, you know, come from, different backgrounds, have different views, and you usually find it gives you a more balanced approach if you have a, a diverse uh, workforce or a diverse leadership team or diverse people around you. But you also get some out-of-the-box thinkers, some people that come up with new ideas and new ways of working, and then other people that are uh, that have a sort of perhaps more of a fixed mindset in terms of, right, these are the sort of fundamental things that we need to, that we need to get right. We spoke about it at Grimsby Town, actually, um, and we're doing some work with the 21st group. And, you know, we, we want to be perhaps a little bit disruptive and come up with new ways of working. But what we can't ignore is things that Bournemouth have done, Brentford have done, Luton Town have done. Right. What are the fundamental things that those people have done or those clubs have done? Brighton would be in there as well. What are the fundamental things that they've done? That we can just go, well, let's copy that because it's really, really good <laughs> and it's made a huge difference. But also, is there some new things that we can bring in alongside that that would perhaps accelerate us even further or take us to the next level or even accelerate our progress so we can catch up with some of those clubs in the future? So I think getting that balance right is really, really important. And the key for me is making sure that you've got diversity through, through your whole staff, but also probably having a diverse mindset yourself. Moving on, so you've talked about the staff there. From a player's standpoint, how do you identify and recruit top technical talent and what qualities do you look for? Yeah, we always had this. Um, it was actually one of our the objectives that I spoke around earlier. So obviously we had our, our central aim, but we also had this, our, well, the two sort of core objectives, if you like, were recruit and retain elite players and recruit and retain elite staff. Now, the retain bit was very much around, sorry, it was recruit and develop the best the best staff. Um, so sometimes we couldn't recruit the best staff because, well, we, we were Stoke City Football Club 
Um, and however great they are as a football club, you need to recognise that you're down the road from Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Everton, um, some clubs that would certainly have a, a bigger opportunity to take the best or the most talented staff available. So we used to make sure that we'd got really good development programmes in place for any individuals that came to work at our, our organisation. One, so that people would recognise that you were going to grow if you came to our club. So we might not offer the best salary and your name might not be in lights because actually you're working at Stoke City Football Club. However, you will get better. You will fulfil your potential. And we may be a stepping stone for you to go and work at Manchester United or the national team. And hopefully people would go and tell the story for us. So if we did the best for people, players or staff, actually we, want, we, we don't want to have to tell the story ourselves. I think Brighton do it really well now in terms of player recruitment. They don't have to tell the story about Brighton because people can see it. You either go into the first team at Brighton and they're a great club and it's great to play for them and actually it looks like they're going to have European success for next next season. Or you're a stepping stone. So And Brighton understand that. They understand that actually someone might come into their club, they will get the best out of them for a two-year period and they'll, they'll, they'll go on. Um, so actually... What you want to do, it's it's quite easy to tell your own story. If you can get others to tell the story for you, wow, you'll you'll have people coming through the door all, all of the time. So, based on your career experiences so far, what advice would you give to someone looking to follow a similar path in the football industry? Um, I think you've got to embrace challenge and change because. It'll, it'll come and find you all the time in in, in elite sport. So you've you've got to you've you've got to embrace it. It's almost part of your CPD. So there's been times when you know I've gone into new roles or um, I've been at certain clubs or you've been in certain environments where you you know you feel uncomfortable and it's a huge challenge. I think you've got to recognise that as look, this is part of my development. And so however much of a challenge it feels at the time. Um, actually, it's gonna it's gonna make you stronger. It's gonna develop you for future experiences that you have, and you might deal with it differently based on what what's happened to you in that particular context. I think you've got to have a a really open. You've got to be really open minded. And actually, I, I think we might have even mentioned it last week. Keith was around. You know, you look at players now and coaches now. That you know, if if you're in the UK, you know, it's a really challenge to. It's a real challenge for for the talent pathway. In both contexts. So actually be open-minded and go and look outside of that. Go and look at different ways of developing or what the path may might look like for you to, to, to achieve your goals. I think that's really clear. I think the, the one that I spoke around, you know, just being this, just be prepared to be a lifelong learner. And I'm, I'm obviously doing the master's program at the moment. I'm, I'm doing Arabic as a language. And just, just be prepared for things like that. You know, we just, just sort of go... The bits you like, I love talking about the technical side of the game 100%. And you know, the, the meeting I had with the FA this morning was fantastic. We talked about player development, and I absolutely loved it. And there's times when I go to some of my lectures or lessons where you're like, this is hard work because it's not the thing that I actually love. It inspires you, but it's not the thing that I actually love. But you know, it's going to help in the context of your role. I think being really honest with yourself as well. So if you've got that open mind, just be really open, you know, open and honest with yourself where you just go, Do you know what, I'm not great at that. It's something that, you know, it's a, it's a skills gap that 
or a knowledge gap that I don't have. How can I address that? And that might be taking that lifelong learning path where you go and do a course or you learn about something new or it might be going and experiencing it. Okay, I'll go out and I'll I'll go to another club or I'll go into a different sport and I'll try and experience what that looks like. Or it might be that you you know you're you're open as a leader to sort of go right. Well, I need to fill that skills gap in my team. I need that knowledge to come where from somewhere else. And accepting that someone's a bit smarter than you <laughs> is uh, is you know can be a challenge for some people. But the reality is they, there's there's usually people smarter than you and look if you if you've got them in if you've got them in your team ah it's it, it's wonderful because they're either going to go off and do something really special or they they'll, they'll make you look good because because you're inspiring them you're developing them you're working with them that that reflects that reflects on you so i think having that real sort of open mind and just just love 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 what you do and you know it's said, said, been said a million times. You know, you, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life, and 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 it's exactly that. You know, you you must be inspired, and and if the industry's dragging you down, actually change and do something else, because that's it's not worth it. It's 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 not it's not worth it. Do something that you love and you enjoy every single day, and whether that's whether that's football or not or sport or not. It doesn't matter. I think that's really, really important. You must absolutely love it because if you don't, it will absolutely drain your life and the sacrifices you make will not be worth it. What one thing excites you to get your bum out? Do you know what? It was my, it was my daughter's 18th birthday at the weekend and I, and I went back. I just went and had a weekend back at home and um, I can remember... Some of the first words I spoke to my wife when my daughter was born, and I was—we were talking about the weekend, and I, I can remember how she smelt when when she was first born, and it was the most incredible feeling. You've, you know, if you think you've if you think you've been in love before, <laughs> have a child because you'll never know anything anything like it. And um, I remember being born and being in my in, in my wife's arms and just going. Right, I need to pull my finger out. Almost <laughs> like you've got this responsibility now that is so overwhelming that that you need to you need to provide for them. And look, I I, I and I sacrifice some of that now, but with the jobs that I do. Um, but you know, I speak to both my daughters every day on the phone. Um, you know, I speak to my wife every day on the phone. Those are the things that inspire you. However much you love the game and you. You do that because you know you're going to have so many sacrifices to make, and you do something you love because it makes it bearable. <laughs> right, I'm I'm going to do something that I love and enjoy because I, I know how hard I'm going to work. You do everything for them, and you, you know, so you're you're a parent, and any anyone I speak to in in the game, the sacrifice they're making is because the family they want to provide for. Don't get me wrong, they love they love what they do. And they love being in football and it's an absolute passion for them. However, all the sacrifices that you make are because you want to provide for your family and you want you want to, them to experience things that you didn't experience and you want to you, you want to provide and give them really nice things and make life comfortable and enjoyable for them. Um, so Hey, look, that's that's it with, with without a doubt. And I loved football before my my oldest daughter came along, but uh, it certainly gives you a kick up the backside when you know what responsibility is when you have a child.
Gareth, there's a there's a quote that we've used from a guy called John Maxwell, who's a inspirational he's an inspirational leader, and he says people may hear your words but they feel your attitude, and when you I mean throughout this podcast today you've you've obviously said a lot you've spoke a lot but I I just get a true sense and a true feeling of who you are just from the way that you express the things that you do and the things that you say and how you say them. And that the last answer really epitomized that you could really sense the passion around obviously your family and uh, and your oldest daughter. But throughout the whole thing, it was very evident that you are so passionate about what you do. You love learning and you want to continue doing that. So from, from my dad and I, we just want to thank you for coming on. It's been a, a pleasure listening to you and a pleasure having you as, as part of, of the podcast today. So thank you very much for your time. No, well, thank thank you guys as well. I think uh, obviously the the show is inspirational and you know you give us this opportunity to 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 listen to so many different people that are insightful and you know that's you know that those things inspire you as well. Um so no, thank you very much. It's been a been a pleasure to come on and um uh, Hopefully I can I can revisit you in the future. Let's hope so. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more, or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also, you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.